0: This is episode 112 of Herpetological Highlights. I am Ben Marshall and co-hosting, as always, is Tom Major. And this week we have an episode all about uh, crocodiles. Freshwater crocodiles, in fact. And their uh, foraging tactics.
1: Yeah, that's right. We're going to be talking about freshwater crocodiles, the smaller of the two large Australian crocodiles, but still quite fearsome beasts. They're not really a threat to humans the same way that saltwater crocodiles are. I mean, saltwater crocodiles will just straight up eat you and they will set out to eat you and they will succeed in doing so.
0: (laughs) I feel like this is an unnecessary vilification of saltwater crocodiles.
1: Nah, like, I'm not vilifying them. I'm just saying, like, they are a predator of the water's edge and we count among their prey. That's just a fact of life. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm saying, like, I, I rate them for it. I mean, I respect that about an animal. You know, fair enough, mate. As far as I'm concerned, every single day of my life is a battle against the saltwater crocodile. And every single day so far, I've come out on top. <laughs> Take that
0: saltwater crocodile. You haven't got me
1: yet. The fact that I've never been to the continent they inhabit is neither here nor there
0: well i don't know they pop up uh into uh southeast asia
1: oh that's true yeah well point well made yeah they do don't they they can swim
0: so i think we'll just count you lucky then
1: yeah exactly yeah. okay so you mentioned we're doing the freshwater crocodiles the paper we're going to talk about is by aya shine somawira bell ward fear 2022 so we're on the bleeding edge of herpetology here Shifts in the Foraging Tactics of Crocodiles Following Invasion by Toxic Prey, published in Scientific Reports. I mean, so naturally, yeah, toad-related
0: study. I feel like we've covered so many toad-related studies in Australia, but at the same time they're super interesting because you've got this, this dynamic changing environment as this new toxic invader sort of comes in and, and poisons things. And so it, it's opened up a lot of opportunity for some really interesting insights into how animals adjust, even if the uh, underlying reason behind it is kind of grim.
1: Yeah, totally. So we're talking about Crocodilus johnstoni, which is the scientific name of the freshwater crocodile. Some people call them freshies in Australia. So if you're a Steve Irwin fan, you'll have heard that said. And uh, like you said, Ben, another paper about cane toads, the toxic invader re- introduced to Australia in one of history's biggest bad ideas to try and eat a beetle which they didn't really take to eating instead they just <laughs> ate everything else and got eaten by everything and they're crazily poisonous so the oh, yeah, fauna the, the, of the australia is a beautiful success oh my days i mean toads of the world all over are rejoicing at the success of cane toads it's a real boon for them as a, as a sort of group
0: <laughs> as a family
1: <laughs> yeah But yeah, so these freshwater crocodiles, they're only found... See, I've got here, they're only found in... Oh, yeah, these are the freshwater Mm -hmm. ones. They're only Mm -hmm. found in Australia, not the saltwater. They don't go down into the salty areas because the saltwater crocodiles are bigger and meaner. So they inhabit these freshwater lakes and billabongs of northern Australia. They grow to around three meters in length and they very rarely attack people. They're not really considered particularly dangerous. The diet of these guys is mostly small vertebrates. So fish, frogs, toads. They'll also eat insects and arthropods and stuff. And as they get bigger, they look for bigger prey. But they have these quite narrow jaws. So, you know, your archetypal crocodile has got a big fat head. Freshwater crocodiles have quite a slender snout. And that is an adaptation to sort of being a little bit more limber in catching fish and frogs and things that can sort of. Move
0: gives them less drag in the water, right? And so they can sort of whip that snout around and catch your fast moving,
1: slippery aquatic beasties. Precisely, precisely. And so, cast your mind back, Ben. In episode 101, we actually covered a similar paper to this about the lace monitors, Varanus varius.
0: I feel like I forget most of the things we do almost instantly after the edit's done.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. So that's why I had to look it up. So yeah, that was the paper where the lizards were problem solving.
0: Oh yes, they had their tubs with the rotating door structure that they had to open.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and what they found is that the monitor lizards, which coexisted with cane toads, had were essentially sort of less willing to try and solve the puzzle, and what they hypothesized or what they thought was that the toads arriving has meant that like the most bold, tenacious, you know, keen to solve problems lizards had been eating the toads with abandon because they were just like more curious. And all of those lizards probably died or learnt that they're poisonous. And so now in areas where there are cane toads, the lizards are a lot more cautious. Yeah. Than the cowards they were.
0: prevailed, basically
1: exactly yeah. the cowards prevailed and so that kind of sets the scene for this study where they wanted to compare areas where freshwater crocodiles were living that cane toads had arrived with areas which were yet to see cane toads because you know cane toads are kind of expanding along this horizon in australia they're sort of like slowly hopping their way into new areas but it takes a bit of time because uh, if you've ever seen a toad run it's not very effective So there are still many areas where the freshwater crocodiles are living in relative peace without the toads having arrived. And what they wanted to see was, and they did this by baiting a bunch of um, lines, they wanted to see whether or not crocodiles in areas with cane toads were behaving differently towards prey than areas that haven't got cane toads. And the sort of idea for this paper came from a citizen scientist who they mentioned in the paper, uh, a guy called Dave Lindner. And Dave reckoned he noticed that well, he sort of knew that if Cane Toad is eaten, so a lot of the time people's pet dogs will actually attack Cane Toads because they're there and dogs sort of like biting stuff sometimes. <laughs>
0: dogs dogs like biting stuff, I think. <laughs> a universal truth. Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. If dog must bite. Yeah, they're curious. You know, to- Toad's hopping around, they like, maybe go give it yeah, a little bite. They don't bite, have I
0: mean. thumbs to give it a prod and poke and grab, so next
1: best thing a little nibble get it in the mouth and what dave recognized was that if your dog gets poisoned by cane toad by a cane toad because they have those poisonous glands on their skin that secrete toxins and if you get them in your mouth you're in trouble it can kill you and so the treatment if your dog gets a cane toad in its mouth is to just hose the dog's mouth out with as much water as possible as quickly as possible the idea being that you'll literally rinse the toxins off so this guy, Dave, he thought, hang on a second, if that's the case, freshwater crocodiles are no fools. Maybe they know that the toads are toxic and perhaps they b- adjust their behavior accordingly. And the best thing they could do, if you actually wash the cane toad before you eat it, most of that toxin will come off.
0: And it's not like that's a infrequent thing seen in, in nature. There's plenty of animals that will do food washing before consumption and one of most entertaining and famous examples is trying to watch raccoons eat uh, candy floss and then washing candy floss before trying to eat it and of course it dissolves in the water and they're bitterly disappointed but uh, examples exist
1: i'm disappointed raccoon you sweet summer child <laughs> you can't wash candy floss there's a few other examples that they talk about in this paper, actually. Apparently, slender lorises, you know, those sort of hilarious mammal things that have got like the spiky arms mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. poison arms. So they've got arms. the toxic barbs. Yeah. Yeah. And when you accost them, they put their arms up like like someone's aiming a gun at them. It's really funny. But actually, they're just super stressed. Yeah. But yeah, so those guys, the slender nor- loris, when they find a poisonous invertebrate, they'll actually sneeze on it, slobber on it, and even urinate on it to wash off the toxins.
0: It's truly a, a marvel of the natural world, the Slender <laughs> Loris. Actually,
1: yeah, and, uh, Slightly less
0: of an elegant solution than the uh, humble raccoon, I, I think we can all yeah. agree.
1: Worth remembering, though, in a survival situation, if you find yourself with nothing but toxic invertebrates to eat, Sneeze don't waste them. your own urine. Oh, yeah, all that. Similarly, the last one I want to talk about is otters. They can detect the toxins of similarly toxic toads bufospinosis and they avoid it by skinning the carcass and then washing it prior to consumption and otters are pretty savvy they can do that even if they've never seen a toad before the first ever toad they encounter they're like give it a sniff and they know it needs a wash
0: first ever is in like young otters not seeing it as opposed to because i'm pretty sure like otters are largely sympatric with toads all otter species i'm thinking of
1: Honestly, I didn't read the whole paper. I just took what they said about it in this paper. So I don't know whether it was juvenile otters. It just said if they've never encountered a toad, they know how to do it. That sounds like juveniles, right? Yeah, yeah. you think so, yeah. right? Or captive ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So back to the toxic toads and the freshwater crocodiles. As we've said, like many Australian predators, freshwater crocodiles are vulnerable to the toxins of the cane toads and they may well die when they eat the toads, but they're not idiots. And so what the authors wanted to do was to see whether or not foraging terrestrially, so that's where the crocodiles will actually come out onto land and grab things off the land, which is obviously where they're likely to find cane toads because they generally are on the land. And they wanted to see whether or not freshwater crocodiles were doing less terrestrial hunting where there were now cane toads.
0: Mm, The assumption being that terrestrial foraging is higher risk because of this new toxic prey
1: item they could grab, yeah. Exactly, and they did this in the Kimberley region, which is in the wet-dry tropics of northwestern Australia.
0: wet-dry tropics, is in part of the year wet, part of the year dry, yeah?
1: Yeah, wet-dry, yeah. Very wet, and then very dry. Soaking, sodden, and then <laughs> perfect for crops. Really arid. Yeah, very much a sort of yeah, big time wet season and a big time dry season. And in order to do that, they set up a bunch of baits over the water at the water's edge and yeah, on land close to water. These are
0: sort of hanging bait stations. We've got this post or whatever set up with two types of delicious crocodile uh, snacks hanging just above the water or just above the ground. They they have this choice between delicious chicken or slightly less delicious and although critically not so laden with toxin that it would kill them, uh, remains of a toad. So the, the authors pulled out all the particularly dangerously toxic aspects when mating, making the uh, toad bait. Because the last thing you want to do is actually poison the crocs, especially in an area that they are completely naive to the
1: introduced toads. That would just be a
0: horrifically cruel experiment. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that would just be uh, spiteful to the crocodiles, yeah. really. I mean, they've got enough on their plate without being tricked into eating toads by the very people trying to study them. But yeah, it's pretty easy to get the toxic parts off a toad. You just take a big butcher's cleaver. You put the toad down on your block there. You sm- smash one once in half. So just the legs. You peel off the skin. Bada bing, bada boom. You've got a toxic free cane toad ready for crocodile consumption. Delicious. I <laughs> <Yeah>. feel- <laughs> they use chicken necks again. It's always chicken necks with these things. I think it's never chicken it's, it's, breast. Yeah, it's, it's leftover stuff, isn't it? Yeah, no one wants to eat the chicken next, so they give them to the crocodiles. And let's talk about what they found out. I mean, the results were pretty striking. So in populations where... Well,
0: well, before you just, as a point of observation, they're not sitting around waiting for the crocs to pop out and grab these things. They've set up camera traps so people can back away and leave, and uh, the crocodiles can forage in peace and without any human influence, human disturbance, and can just go about their daily lives in peace.
1: And I guess the crocodiles will actually trigger the camera trap. So they probably don't have to fast forward through hours and hours of nothing happening. They can actually just skip to the good bits.
0: Yeah, they're big enough to set off the motion motion sensor. Yeah.
1: Ideal. So, yeah, they did find some quite striking things. So in populations of crocodiles which had never seen toads, so they call them toad naive populations, crocodiles took baits pretty much equally from all locations regardless of whether they were over the water on the water's edge or on the bank. There was a bit more over the water than um, the others, but not really dramatic. But um, in contrast to that crocodiles, which have lived alongside the toads, they took baits primarily located over the water rather than taking the ones at the water's edge or on the bank. And that was really striking. It was like they took 83% of baits over the water compared to the other two where the, crocodiles who had never seen toads were taking only 39 percent of the water's edge baits compared to much higher numbers of the other two so big shift it's quite a clear very clear shift in the hunting strategy or at least the bait taking strategy of the freshwater crocodiles that have experienced toads they know that if you're taking things off the bank it's not going to be good it's
0: a greater risk yeah it's not that they took nothing but massive massive shift yeah
1: Yeah. And they also looked at whether or not the crocodiles taking the baits behaved differently depending on which bait they'd grabbed hold of. So if you're a crocodile, you've gone out, you found yourself a little bit of bait on a string, a little bit suspicious maybe, but you're not too concerned. But if you grab a toad bait, you're going to wash it in 49% of cases. Whereas if you grab a chicken bait, you're only going to wash it in 28% of cases. So the crocodiles were actually handling the toads differently than they were handling the chicken, suggesting that on a population level, they recognize that the toads are toxic. And they also, when they were washing the toad baits, and washing is just them holding them in their jaws and sort of flapping them around, you know, they're not getting their their suds and washing up bowl (laughs) out obviously. But they're just giving them a little wag around in the water, hoping that they'll wash off some of the toxins. But they also washed toad baits for longer than they washed chicken baits when they did wash chicken baits. And all of this comes together to kind of suggest that crocodiles that are taking toads recognise, probably by smell, maybe by sight of those little leggies hanging down, but they know that those baits are not good and that they should be washed before they're consumed if they are to not be poisoned.
0: Yeah, yeah, there does seem to be some sort of like awareness by both location and behavior and you know i think the additional aspect to it is that they're just also far less likely to consume toad baits versus the chicken baits like there was this overall pattern of preferring to take the chicken baits that was not seen with the toad naive populations that took them pretty much bang on equally like how they're how they're presented that to me paints a pretty comprehensive picture that they are aware of the risks of taking toad baits uh one mitigation strategy is avoiding taking prey items on the banks on the land second one being that wonderful prey washing and then the third one actually being able to discern what prey item is a toad and or not as well So, I mean, it feels like there is a suite of behavioural changes here, all predicated by an awareness of potentially the toads' toxicity, or maybe they don't taste as good. I mean, it's harder to pin down Mm. exactly why, but um, it certainly seems like there's an effect.
1: Sweet is one thing these toads are not. Presumably. (laughs) You presume they're bitter, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think they must taste horrible. I was actually thinking, you know, maybe we should go to Australia and just sort of set up a little restaurant. And what we'll do there is we'll just catch up as many toxic t- cane toad invaders as we can. And we'll serve them in a little like bougie restaurant. But we'll be sort of like, you know, like fugu. That's what it's called, right? The Japanese puffer fish mm-hmm, that like, mm-hmm. it tastes like a normal fish, I assume. But it also... You know poses the risk of killing you if the chef didn't know what they were doing well we won't know what we're doing so the gamble will be even greater for people and they can come and they can eat the cane toads that we serve them up and it could become like some kind of regional delicacy and the danger factor maybe will increase its popularity what what do you think
0: you'd need some sort of careful legalese or some sort of waiver maybe a maybe a doormat as you walk in if you step on this doormat you waive all legal rights and
1: avoid toad poison Yeah. Or just do it sort of like roving out of like a camper van and then we can just drive away. (laughs) Just
0: disappear into the night.
1: (laughs) Just carefully monitor all the guests. And if anyone starts to take a nasty turn, we'll just, yeah, bail. So what this paper really exemplifies is the fact that, and as we've seen this time and time again with the introduction of cane toads, animals adapt to threats that come into their ecosystems the willingness to survive is strong. So they try and sort of get around all these different threats and stresses that come into their environment. And the addition of cane toads for freshwater crocodiles appears to be no different. They're adapting. They're doing seemingly less hunting on the bank or in the water's edge in response to these toxic toads being around, which, you know, in one hand is good because they're not just going extinct by repeatedly eating toxic things that kill them. But equally, you wonder... A predator which apparently largely specialises in eating food that's on the water's edge or even on the bank. Or
0: even taking aquatic prey and then consuming it on the bank. That was the other point they highlighted, right? These crocs do prefer to consume the prey they've captured regardless of where it's captured on the land. And I've got Mm -hmm. some nice pictures in here of these crocs chowing down on fish. Fully out of the water.
1: Yeah, and so if that is a major strategy of theirs, which is being interrupted, that could potentially have quite bad consequences for the populations as a whole, mm-hmm. which I guess remain to be seen. Hopefully they can adapt. But...
0: They did also note that it was hard, well, they had a smaller sample size for the toad sympatric populations the ones that
1: live with the toads. The
0: ones that live with the toads, potentially because they have a lower density of crocodiles there, therefore there are fewer baits being taken. But the other suggestion, hearkening back to what you were saying about the uh, the monitor lizards too, was potentially you've got ones which are more neophobic, i.e. will avoid new, novel, scary things in the environment, and therefore you're having a reduced uptaking bait, and therefore this smaller sample, which would tally up, you know, you've got a novel thing introduced into environment. Oh, it's toxic and it's killed off all the particularly bold ones like we saw, with, you know, implied with the baronid study. And you've got the same scenario here. So potentially the crocs that are left in that environment are less willing to explore this novel bait station set up for them. And therefore, that's what sort of led to this mismatch in uh, sample sizes where in the, the toad naive population, they were taking the baits far more frequently. So you've got multiple things, sort of getting in the way of of studying this too, because it's just they are harder to study in the toads and Patrick areas. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, you know, the patterns, the patterns that they describe here are pretty, pretty convincing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. You've got toxic toads changing the behavior of freshwater crocodiles, and from one novel species in an environment to a new novel species to science, let's talk about our species of the bi-week. So, we have got a paper by Marquez, Cheriaco, Stanley, Bandera, Agarwal, and Bauer, published in 2019, a new species of girdled lizard from the Serra-Denive-Inselberg, Namib province, southwestern Angola, published in taxa
0: Can we just appreciate can we just stop and uh, appreciate figure one as a beautiful way of setting the scene oh wow so okay just presented yeah, talk to this. me talk to me wonderful landscape looking quite arid i would say and we've got the uh, mountains off in the background these rocky rocky edges grays and oranges from the rocks and the uh Foliage, Being quite open, scrubby sort of land up into the more, more forest it is. It heads up into the mountains. It's absolutely beautiful.
1: Yeah. So basically, this Inselberg is just one big fat-off rock in the middle of a desert, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good way of describing it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on the rock, there grows trees. And yeah, like you have said, it just looks spectacular. And... I think something else spectacular actually inhabits that rock, looking at the rest of this paper, because we've got a new species of cordylus. Now, these are famous for being the girdled lizards. So these are the ones where if you start bothering them, they bite onto their tail, right?
0: Oh, is that these guys?
1: That's That's Auroborus, isn't it? That's Auroborus. Yeah. That's a different thing. However, not
0: dissimilar in a lot of characteristics. You've got this browny, yellowy, grey mixed sort of brown coloration with an exceptionally gorgeous spiked tail very very keeled spikes going along the, the the tail and the uh what do you call those little sticky
1: outfits arms and legs what do you call arms and legs
0: what do you call arms and, arms and legs yeah they also have some spikes protruding four, four limbs okay yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah they do they look super spiky that spiky tail what are these guys doing are they hiding in rocks why is that tail so spiky?
0: I have a feeling that, yeah, saxic- saxicolus is the lifestyle they've they've chosen.
1: Yeah, it does say here that the juvenile was collected under a rock. Oh, it, listen to this, listen to this. You think it likes rocks. A juvenile specimen collected at the same locality as the holotype, which is the one used to describe the species, under a small granite rock, on a larger rock. So you've got some rock-on-rock action there, confirming our suspicions.
0: I think saxicolus is... Uh... the only word appropriate
1: yeah i mean the word rock appears in this paper 10 times i think that pretty much tells you everything you need to know and in fact in fact what have they called this lizard rock dweller they've called yeah so it's (laughs) not quite but (laughs) (laughs) they've called it cordylus phonolithos which is a noun in apposition from the Greek phono, which means sound, and lithos, which means rock, which means sound stone. Phonolithos, soundstone. And in the local Mukabol language, the type locality name, which is oh my goodness, Ndolondlo, means literally rock that sounds like a bell or bell. And there's a famous stone at this locality which makes a noise. It's a rare igneous volcanic stone, And what it does is if you hit it, it produces a very distinctive metallic sound. So basically, there's this big giant rock there on this Inselberg. And if you hit it, it makes a big ting, like a piece of metal. And they've named the species after that.
0: Which is kind of wonderful and potentially connected to its love of rocks itself.
1: Yeah, Yeah, totally. And it does say this species was found in granite outcrops in sparse miombo forest. So there's lots of trees, but... The holotype was within a crevice in a granite boulder. And as we said, the little juvenile they also collected was under a rock on a rock. And they tend to eat myriapods. So wood lice, friend sort of things, right? <laughs> myriapod. Oh, no, that's a, that's a millipede, isn't it? A myriapod. Is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: Eating little millipedes, then.
1: Myri is like myriad. Pod is leg. Myriad of legs. Hmm. Myriapod. Many millipede. legged creatures delicious. Millipedes and centipedes, I think, pods actually. Yeah. Excellent. What else can we say about this little thing? About How big 70
0: is it? About quite... 70mm SVL. It's tiny. The... It's... Oh, small. I can't even see the head length. The tail length.
1: Jeez. Really big armoured head.
0: Yeah, it's bulky head. Which is you know, kind of
1: classic for Cordylus, right? Yeah. And they're quite flat as well, which is probably an adaptation to squeeze into the little rocks. Yeah. Just this
0: flat, armoured lizard living in amongst rocks.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Very cool. So there you have it. Cordylus. Phonolithos. And they suggest the... Common names: Indolindolo, 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 girdled lizard, Indolindolo girdled lizard. Once you've got it, you've got it. That one just never let it go. Never let it go. And also, it's quite nice to say Indolindolo girdled lizard as a common name. So there we go. Exciting new addition to the fauna of this Inselberg. They're considering. Building a conservation area, building a conservation area, creating a conservation area there.
0: Allocating, yeah. <laughs> Designating. Allocating,
1: yeah. But yeah, it's considered to be data deficient. They're not sure how much.
0: Well, that seems pretty
1: reasonable, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. There are the usual threats from humans around and about. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, have you got any other business, Ben?
0: No, I don't. No, I, I've used up all my business the past couple of episodes. I'm back to having You've had some... nothing for nobody.
1: You've had some good business, though. I've got a little bit. We've got a brand new Patreon, Maggie O'Brien. So thank you very much, Maggie. Thank you. And we've also had a correction from Dr. Skylar Hopkins on Twitter.
0: Oh, I do have... I have a correction, too. Yeah, sorry. Do... Yeah,
1: carry on. Yeah, well, I'm going first. Yeah, I hope it's (laughs) the same one. And uh, it might be. But in episode 100, we were talking about the life cycle of a crazy little larvae. And I wasn't sure how the larvae get from the snails to the tadpoles oh, and yeah. i suggested that maybe the trematode larvae actually are eaten the snails are eaten by the tadpoles which contain the trematode larvae but actually no in fact the larvae leave the snails and then they swim around until they find a tadpole host and uh skylar said i've she's never seen a wood frog tadpole eat a freshwater snail but she's seen a freshwater snail actually eat a tadpole which sounds horrendous.
0: Wow. Worms just make a beeline for tadpoles and work their way in somehow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Trematodes up inside you.
0: Yeah, quite. Ooh.
1: Yeah. Pretty rough. But also fascinating. Yeah, they just the, the, the parasite in. stuff
0: is kind of incredible.
1: Yeah, more parasite stuff definitely coming. So what was your other business?
0: Oh, we were saying like, oh, turtles don't make noise. Yeah, they totally can. They don't have vocal cords like we were saying,
1: but like they can still sort of
0: make like clicking noises and stuff.
1: Squeaks. I reckon they probably squeak when they're mating. All Chelonians I've ever seen mating are well, very vocal. From this we've got
0: observed clicks, clucks, meows, and even chirps is uh what's being said.
1: Calling meow is can- quite Sort of
0: make some sort of noise
1: too. So, yeah. (laughs) Calling it a meow is bothersome, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Hey, you haven't heard it. I know. Maybe it's absolutely bad. Maybe it's the most meow like meow you've ever heard. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) I reject this reality. of noisy
1: turtles yeah that's cool though yeah i'm glad you followed that up because sometimes we do just make like broad sweeping statements which are just factually completely incorrect so that's good to know yes um one final piece of business i'm going to be on television next week so uh if anyone's in the uk or if they've got a vpn one of the episodes of bbc Springwatch. it'll be next week when this comes out i'm going to be in it talking about the research we're doing on Escalapian snakes and uh, I'm hoping it's going to be really cool. They had the drones up and all sorts. So really excited to see how that pans out.
0: Fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed. It's going to be good.
1: Yeah. 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 So yeah, watch out for that. If you've, uh, if you've got a VPN or if you've got access to BBC iPlayer, anything else? I didn't, I think I've got anything else. I think that's it from me. No,
0: no, I got my turtles can make noise and that's it. (laughs) nice.
1: All right, great. Well, um, yeah, in that case, Uh, we're on social media you can find us on there if you want to get in touch if you've got a correction or if we've got something wrong herphighlights at gmail.com and if you'd like to become our patron you can at patreon.com slash herphighlights and all that remains to be said is thank you for listening yeah thanks for listening